0: Reading is from Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day, and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Let's stand as James reads for us our gospel reading. The Lord be with you. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew in the third chapter, beginning at the thirteenth verse. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness.
2: So remain standing. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge and thank you for your presence in our midst. And we'd ask now that your word would rule over us, your spirit would teach us, that you being known and glorified would be our only concern. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? March 2020, a two week circuit breaker lockdown was announced. Flatten the curve, we were told. Churches were shuttered. Providentially, we quickly pivoted to live streaming worship. Implications weren't given much thought, just a temporary measure to get us through these two weeks. But it wasn't temporary. It became our norm. For over two years, embodied life as church has been disrupted. Instead, we've been formed by virtual ways of gathering. As a result, worship became all the more individualistic. I began to get emails. Why'd you play that song? I don't know that song. I want more traditional music. The preacher didn't affirm my beliefs about this or that subject. I'm horrified. He's a heretic. Such things would not have been articulated had we been together. I mean, I might not know that song, but the woman beside me who's singing her heart out invites me to worship along with her. I may be horrified by the theology of the sermon, but I look around and no one else is. And so maybe the lack of orthodoxy doesn't exist in the preacher, but perhaps in me. Worship became all the more consumeristic. All of a sudden, we got windows into churches across the globe. Suggestions came pouring in of how we could make things better. I'm all for removing distractions so we can focus on Jesus alone, but resisted the controlled professional pre-record. Livestream should not be a replacement for what we were made for, embodied community. Now, at first, Livestream Church was rather novel, and then reality set in. Lockdown was particularly difficult for young families. Home life wasn't conducive to a concentrated time of worship. For others, tuning in, it just made them angry. This is not right. We should be together. And for these reasons and more, many stopped tuning in. And patterns of regular engagement wore off. I'm old enough to remember that when you wanted to watch your favorite TV show, you needed to be home at a certain time. A-Team was on at 8 p.m. on Tuesday night. Your life centered around your favorite TV show. Not anymore. We've got Rogers on demand. Before the pandemic, our lives were centered around our participation in the embodied life of church. But now we had church on demand. More exciting weekend plans. It's all good. I'll watch the live stream on Monday and fast forward through all the parts I don't particularly see value in. But this new pattern of worship revealed something to us. It exposed some unhealthy convictions. Many of us at Little T have been formed in evangelical circles where the goal is to have a personal relationship with Jesus, a relationship that is formed in learning, being intellectually stimulated, being fed on God's Word. And now you are home, by yourself, Listening to biblical preaching, and many of you said, I feel distant. I'm not growing. That exposed something. Yes, a personal relationship with Jesus is vital. Yes, being fed and rooted and grounded in God's word is vital. But that's not all that is necessary. We are material creatures and need the materiality of sacrament. We are creatures of habit and need the kingdom habits, liturgy forms. We are communal creatures and need the work of the Spirit in community. We may not be able to articulate just how such things form and shape us, but their absence exposed just how necessary they were. Being disconnected from the embodied life of church has formed, shaped, changed us in ways that we may not yet even recognize. And it will take intentional effort to reform us. And so today we're going to be starting a new sermon series on the richness of embodied worship, just how vital it is to our flourishing as human beings. For months now, we've toyed with the idea of doing such a series, knowing that it needed to happen, but the question was, when? We chose this moment, for as a society, we're tentatively seeing if we can live with this virus. Restrictions have been lifting. We're accepting that COVID will likely be endemic and with us for some time to come, but we don't foresee the shuttering of churches. And so pre-pandemic regulars are asking, what's my relationship to little T going to look like now? Those who are still on live stream are saying, what circumstances will lead me to begin to return? And so we thought now, now is the time to do such a series so that we might help our community make those decisions rooted in the truth of God's word as we begin this series, I want to invite us this morning to see worship as something that is meant to restore us, to re us. Now, if I were to ask you, who are you, you'd probably tell me a story, right? You'd arrange the significant events of your life into a cohesive narrative that it would tell me who you are, where you've come from, and where you're going. And not only do you have a personal story, we've got stories for our families, our cities, our countries, our very humanity. Cohesive narratives that tell us who we are, where we've come from, and where we're going. Now, one of the primary stories that we tell ourselves here in the West, rooted in a heritage of a modernist scientific mindset, is that humans, we, are a cosmic accident. The chance collision of molecules in a primordial soup. Such an origin story has given rise to a secular mindset. Secular meaning lifespan. It's the thinking that this lifespan is all there is. You live, you die, and that's it. Now, does that story undergird our flourishing as human beings? You see, if this lifespan is all there is, then I've got to fill this lifespan with as many beautiful things, experiences, joys as I possibly can. Eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you may die. It's no wonder we're debt-ridden, endlessly consumeristic, grudgingly generous, living for today with little thought for tomorrow. This perspective often compounds and deepens our sorrows. For when the body breaks, the mind falters, circumstances trap, time shortens, regret and bitterness begin to set in. I will never do, never be, never have, never return For this life is all there is. Now this mindset not only impacts us, it impacts our society. In order to drive the engine of continual economic growth to fuel that insatiable consumption, companies will, every year or so, release a new model with new features that you just have to have. Or companies will produce products of inferior quality that when they break, it's cheaper to replace than to fix, and you have to go and buy it again. But this forms a pattern in us of a throwaway culture, and it doesn't just apply to stuff, it applies to relationships. When the going gets tough, we bail or get bailed on. We throw away or get thrown away. Why? Because life's too short to deal with you. Life's too short to spend one more unhappy moment in this relationship. Because this life is all there is. When companies sell you their products, they're not just selling you stuff. They're selling you an identity. Buy this. Drive that. Wear this. And you'll be strong. Confident, powerful, sexy, in control, forming in us the belief that we define ourselves by our individual consumer choices. I am what I say I am. I am what I have. Resulting in a transient, fragile sense of self. In this worldview, sociologists often reflect on the rise of FOMO. The fear of missing out. A fear that is compounded by social media. Where we can fashion for ourselves online a a life to be envied. A life to be desired. Where we can compare ourselves with hundreds if not thousands of others. And someone is always doing something much more satisfying, much more pleasurable, much more interesting than we are right now. And so we're missing out. And with more and more of our lives online, heads buried in phones, inhabiting virtual worlds, as James Smith puts it, clicking our way through the environment, constantly updating our status, checking in on others, fixated on our feed, documenting our likes for others to see, we're slowly, covertly incorporated into a body politic with its own vision of human flourishing. Shallow connections for instant self-gratification and self-congratulation. This is the fruit of the story we tell ourselves. We're a cosmic accident, and this life is all there is. But you might say, I don't believe that story. Well, you might not, but you live in a world that does. Its habits have become your habits, its goals have become your goals. Its loves have become your loves. Its fears have become your fears. We're being indoctrinated by the shows we watch, the magazines we read, the websites we frequent. Embodied worship is meant to restore us, to restory us, to immerse us in a different narrative of who we are, where we've come from, and where we're going a story that is meant to support our full flourishing as human beings. Now, the biblical story that we are invited to take our place in comes from that Genesis reading that Brielle read for us, and it begins with the words, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Very often when we come to those opening verses of Genesis, we push how questions at it. How did God create And how does this jive with with evolution, with the Big Bang? But Genesis has more important questions to answer. Not how questions, but why questions. Much more interesting questions, like why were we created? Now, we don't take our place until day six. We're gloriously made in God's image. We hear words declared over us, very good. And then we're given a task, a purpose, to have dominion over creation. Now, grievously, that word dominion has been disastrously misused as justification for our exploitation of creation to fuel our insatiable consumption. But dominion means to rule in God's stead, to be God's representative. Genesis 1 is telling us who we are, gloriously made in God's image. And Genesis 1 tells us our purpose, to reflect God's image and to enact God's good, loving care for his creation. Now that identity, that purpose is not given to us in an owner's manual, it's given to us in a song. Genesis 1 is a song with repeated phrases and refrains, a song of beauty, of pace, of rhythm. In C.S. Lewis's first book in his Narnia series, The Magician's Nephew, he reflects on this truth. The children, Diggory and Polly, are transported into the land of Narnia at its creation. They're there to witness its making. And there is Aslan, the lion, the God, the Jesus figure, who begins to sing. And as he sings, creation takes shape. And as creation takes shape, it begins to sing along with Aslan that same song. We were made out of the beauty of song made to sing that song, to keep pace with the rhythms of God's story. Now, what is that rhythm? let, Let me get at it with a question. When does your day start? I might say, well, it starts when the alarm rings, when the baby cries, when the sun rises. In other words, your day starts when you wake. Your day starts with your activity. But did you hear one of the refrains of the song of creation? It was evening. It was morning, the first day. It was evening. It was morning, the second day. It was evening. It was morning, the sixth day. See, for the Hebrew rooted in the biblical story, the day began not with the morning, but with the evening. The day began not with activity, but with sleep. Eugene Peterson, in his book Answering God, writes this We begin our lives asleep in the womb, formed by another. Passive in the darkness, we were made. When we finally venture into daylight action, we're not done with the passivities of sleep. Though gradually our daylight hours lengthen, we never arrive at a condition where we're beyond sleep, self sufficient, in 24 hour control. Going to sleep is biological necessity, it can also be an act of faith. Even though it is decreed in our bodies that we return to sleep, it is never easy. We want to stay in control. But when we open our eyes, the day is half over. While we were sleeping, God has been working. We wake into a world in which God's word has been making aspens and salamanders and puppies. We open our eyes and see what he has brought out of the darkness, light and life. To enter into the rhythm of God's story means our day doesn't begin with our activity, but with sleep. You see, placing the, the emphasis on our activity conjures up the conviction that I am God, that all depends on me. And how will the right things happen at the right time if I'm not pushing and pulling and watching and worrying and texting and calling? No. No. The day begins with sleep. With an affirmation, God is God and I am not. God is good and in control and I can sleep. And I wake not to self-sufficient activity. I wake not to passivity. I wake to dependent activity. We're invited into the rhythm of God's story. Which will reorder our days. But will also reorder our weeks. Let me ask you another question. How is your week ordered? With what does your week begin? Well, for many of us, our week is ordered in a rhythm of work and rest. And although this is not everyone's pattern, we're certainly influenced by it. We we spend a week working and followed by a time resting time we give over to family and friends and hobbies and leisure, our rhythm is to work and then rest. We rest from our work. Is that the rhythm of God's story? On day six, we were created, given a glorious purpose, to reflect God's image and enact God's good care of his creation. And what is the first thing that we do to fulfill that calling? We don't do anything. We rest. For on the seventh day, God rested from all that he had done, and he set apart the seventh day as a day of rest. So it begs the question, how then do we rest? Well, at the beginning of Genesis, we heard that the earth was formless and void. And so God in creation forms what is formless and fills what is void. On days 1, 2, and 3, God forms sky, water, earth. On days 4, 5, and 6, God fills sky, water, earth. On day 7, the ancient rabbis said that God formed something. He formed rest. The question that would remain then is what would fill that rest? In the Ten Commandments, God calls us to remember the Sabbath. That word remember means to betroth or to marry. Remember, marry yourself to Sabbath. And with that image of marriage in mind, the ancient biblical scholars spoke about God's creating rest on the seventh day and likened God to a king who made a bridal chamber, which he plastered and painted and decorated and adorned. God formed this Sabbath rest and invites us as bride to fill that rest, to enter into the bridal chamber and know and experience the delight of relationship with God. Sabbath rest invites us into the delight of worship, corporate worship, Personal worship, to delight in His Word, delight in His presence, delight in His gifts, delight in His good creation, delight in the pleasures of play. All of these things, an expression of our worship, a delight in Him. To enter into the rhythms of God's story then is not to work and then rest, to not rest from our work, but rather to work from our rest, to live from our worship. As Aslan sings and brings creation into being, creation joins in that same song. We were made to sing the song of creation, to keep pace with the rhythms of God's story. But we are marching to the beat of another story. Rejecting who we are and why we were made, we've left a trail of destruction behind us, of sorrow, of pain, of brokenness, injustice, inequality. So how might we once more come to sing the song of creation, keep pace with the rhythms of God's story? Well, there's another time where this song is sung. We're pointed to that in the first verses of Genesis. For in those first verses, we meet God, the God of community, of Trinity. There is Father, Creator. There is Son, the Word of God through which everything was created, let there be. There's the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. There's another time where this song is sung. At Jesus' baptism, Jesus, the Word of God, comes up out of the waters of baptism. The Spirit descends and flutters, hovers like a bird. And that's what the Genesis verb hovered is fluttered like a bird over the waters. And the verse, the voice of God the Father speaks over Jesus. This is my Son, the Beloved, the one I delight in. We're being shown nothing less than the reality that God is about new creation and Jesus restoring humanity to sing once more in tune, keeping pace with the rhythms of God's story. Our worship, then, is to be rightly focused on Jesus, the one who restores us, who restories us. For the rest of the week, you're going to hear a different story. You'll be invited to march to the beat of a different song, a song, a story that tells you you're a cosmic accident, a story that says this life is all there is. And so you've got to fill this life with as many beautiful things, experiences, and joys as you possibly can. And if you're not, you're missing out. A story that will define you by what you have, wealth, success, beauty, or lack thereof. A story that will seek to make its goals your goals, its loves, your loves, its habits, your habits, its fears, your fears. And our worship is meant to restore us, to restory us. To know that no matter what others say of us, no matter what we tell ourselves... We are created gloriously in God's image, and in Jesus we are loved and delighted in. We are formed in worship to make Jesus' story our story, his goals our goals, his loves our loves, his future our future. This restoring, restoring work is something that we do together in community as we support one another in singing that song, matching the pace, the rhythm of God's story. On Thursday, as a family, we celebrated two birthdays, Lori and my dad. In the morning, we called my dad to wish him well, and spontaneously he began to sing happy birthday to Lori. And then my mom began to sing, then me, then the kids, then Lori. It was awful. Each and every one of us had a different starting note and a different pace to the song. But slowly but surely, we began to tune our voices to one another to begin to keep the pace of the song. I wouldn't say that it was perfect, but it was far better than where we began. We gather together in worship to be restored Restoried, to hear that song of creation, to feel the rhythmic beat of God's story, to match our voices, to keep pace with the rhythm, that we might trust God as Lord of all, laying down our anxious control, sleep and wake to dependent activity, that we might work from our rest, live from our worship, Know who we are in Him, gloriously made in His image, loved and delighted in in Jesus, that we might pick up once more our purpose to reflect God's image and enact His good care of creation, entering into the full flourishing as human beings. And so let us, in worship, be restored. Let us be restored